Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Changes. It is Annie here on what I am tentatively calling a spring day. It is the day before St. Patrick's Day. Um, the crocuses are up and blooming in the garden. The buds are just starting to appear in the pear tree in front of the rave shed at the end of the garden. And it's really feeling like we are in the middle of a season change. And to me, personally, that's a good feeling. It's a sense of kind of anticipation and of optimism. Um, I hope you're feeling good. I know some people react badly to season changing, but hopefully this transition from winter into spring is a positive one for you. It feels good. This week, of course, like we bring you every week, uh, we have a story of change. But I've got to say, some of the stories that we encounter on this podcast are truly unbelievable. And this is one of them. This week's episode is with a woman called Sarah Guanyoma. She is the founder of an Instagram platform called What Sarah Read Next. It's a book review platform where she interviews authors and basically holds a kind of community of people around her love for books. I came across her, of course, on Instagram. She asked me if she could interview me around the release of my first novel, Mother Mother. And I found her interview really refreshing, I have to say, in comparison to the other interviews that I had done around the book, because she was so chatty and so fun. She's a natural interviewer. We conducted the interview from Fiji, where Sarah lived at the time. And what I didn't know was that behind the very bubbly demeanour, Sarah was grappling with intense grief. It turned out that both her brother and her husband had died in the space of a year. When I learned of Sarah's full story, I really wanted to get her on here to talk through her changes when she was ready. It's a story of intense romantic love and joy paired with immeasurable loss. It's the story of how you find the strength to go on when you've been pulled to the very edges of despair. And of course, it's a story about change, how it can rise up out of nowhere and rupture your life, but then how you can use it as a tool to heal. After this conversation, I was just floored by Sarah, by her positivity and by her strength. And I've no doubt that you will be too. Uh, suffice to say, I'm sure you've already guessed, there are some serious topics in this conversation, namely grief and death, but also fertility, where Sarah talks me through her struggles with fertility. So if any of that is triggering for you, uh, go and have a look at the show notes for the kind of full details of the conversation. I started the conversation by asking Sarah where she was brought up. Let's do it. I was born in Uganda um, and because there was war kicking off, my parents moved to England. So I was about a year and a half. So by the time we moved here, it was just myself. And then my sister came along um, and then my brother, James. Yeah. Um, and we were living in North London and then parents moved to... Battersea and eventually ended up in Balham. 
What were your parents like? What kind of people were they? My dad was tall, handsome, really intelligent, was basically life and soul of the party. And then you had my mum, Mama Flubs, who's basically a big, you know, big energy like myself. You know, she looked after children. So we'd always have children in the house everywhere. And so from a very young age as well, I'd be helping her out, looking after kids. Um, it was a really happy home. Um, everyone in the community knew my mum and knew us. My parents were also party animals. And so any given time, there'd basically be a party. I'd say like once a month, I'd like to say that. You know, there'd be like Lingala, sort of Congolese music playing. There'd always be food. Mum worked really hard. Uh, she was working sort of free jobs to basically get us through private school. Um, and dad obviously was there in the background. And you, did your dad work as well? He did. He was a cab driver. Right, cool. Um, he was a cabbie. And so he'd basically pick us up for, from school, take us home. There'd be a bit of a crossover before mum would then have to go and do the night shift. Yeah. Cracks had started to sort of show. And I think it was about 15 when mum and dad split up, you know, went to school and basically things got swept under the carpet. As a family, we didn't really talk about it either. It was kind of like, that's happened, chapter gone, let's just move on. Did you have a relationship with your dad after that? I tried to stay in touch, but it was a case of like, I would sort of reach out, didn't really hear much back or there would be sort of sporadic kind of communication, like maybe the odd card, but I'd continuously send like Father's Day cards, happy birthday cards. I might get the odd text, might not you know, it definitely starts to kind of get to you. So I think when I got to uni, Annie, it was a case of, I'd get drunk. I remember like the dice when I'd get drunk, um, but I'd be, get blind drunk. And at the end of it, I'd basically get really teary and like emotional. And what would come out was like, I was like really upset and really damaged from the, as a result of the parents of getting up, not talking about that fallout. Yeah, and not, and not having anyone to talk through it with. Absolutely. Yeah. We didn't get a chance to sort of say goodbye to dad. And we weren't going to, we weren't about to start talking about it with my mum just because we didn't want to upset her. You know, you yeah, kind of, as yeah, kids, totally. you're just like, you, you kind of know it's not discussed, but you kind of know, like, let's not go there. Let's not yeah. rock the boat, especially the mama boat, because she's also doing so much for us. You know, she's kind of keeping us alive. She's kept us under the roof. But internally, I feel that we were all carrying yeah. stuff. But it wasn't until uni that like it really started to unravel for me um, that like the pain I was, yeah, I was drinking to oblivion at times, but and the pain would come out, you know. The drink, I suppose, opens a door, doesn't it? It allows feelings to kind of rush out of you. Absolutely. Do you think that was the first time you were aware that there was kind of you were carrying some things from what had happened? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'd started to date guys. I was a very, I was right. a late bloomer when it came to men, um, you know, whole like kissing and all that kind of stuff. It was like, ew. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I started going out with guys and it was quite evident quite early on that I was, I was quite needy. I needed validation um, and I was putting out a lot. I was, I was definitely putting a lot more effort into the relationship than the guy if I put a lot of effort in and show, and like love them, they won't leave me again. Back to the abandonment issues, yeah. the sort of daddy issues that really start coming out. The whole father-daughter relationship is so important. And these are the mm -hmm. things I'm sort of learning now that I'm on this kind of journey to healing. You know, I'd go out with these good looking, intelligent guys, really charming. You look back, it's like, just like my father, like basically mm. modeled like my father. I've been cheated on. Yeah, the patterns were all there. They're glaringly there for, for anyone to see. But obviously at the time, I didn't see, I, I didn't see any of that. 
until mm-hmm. I met my my late husband Tim. But my way of kind of dealing with that now, having now I've reached forty two, you know, we we moved back from Fiji last year, and you know, having gone from you know, a lot of hurt um, from my dad and not having much contact with him. And there was a point actually in Fiji, I was like, if if he was to pass, like, I don't think I actually would bother going to the funeral because it's like, right. well, what's the point? I don't have this relationship with this yeah. guy. I'd be basically like, I feel like a mm. fuss, like, you know, but I came back and obviously I'm, I'm doing all this work and I, I decided to go and visit him. And, and at the end of the visit, I, I went in to hug him and I just said, Dad, you know what? I, f- I forgive you. I forgive you. What did he say? He just, you know, he's not really capable of talking right now. He's not sort of, he's not well. Um, but he sort of looked up at me and just, you could see like he got quite teary and he sort of just basically pulled me in. And I just, I just said again, I said, Dad, you know, I forgive you. And I feel emotionally even saying it, but it's kind of like I got to the point in life where it's like it takes way more effort to be angry with someone. And, you know, I kind of understand like our parents are a completely different generation of us, you know, like it's, you know, while, you know, what he did to me or, you know, of lack of being in my life, I feel that like I'm. I've been able to do the work. He could have done the work, but that just wasn't the generation to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like they, their way they sort of dealt with stuff was to drink and do whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm now, I'm a person now of having gone through everything I've gone through that I, I want, I want better for myself and I want better for my son. I want to show a better example. And also I just, I just want to be free, Annie. I just, mm-hmm. I just don't want to have any of any, any regrets of, okay, dad died. I just, I just want to be free from all of that. So you mentioned Tim. Can we, before we get on to Tim and the year to 2017, of which a lot went down, can we briefly touch on the ectopic pregnancy that happened to you before you met your late husband? Because that's quite an important part of your journey. Yeah, it is. So I I had been dating a guy and... How old were you? Sorry to interrupt. Early 20s. Um, And I'd been seeing a guy... And then I basically woke up and I just had these really bad cramps and it was, I got up and there was just blood everywhere. Like, it's wow. It's scary. Yeah. It was so scary. Um, and so I just thought it was a really bad period. And I got on a tube, I basically passed out. And when I came to, I was in my bed in Camden and I was like so confused because I was like, well, how the hell did I get here? And there was this stranger mm. guy and... I started freaking out and he's like, just don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Like, you know, you passed out on the tube and somehow like, you know, in your days, like I got your ID and we've managed, managed to get you home because you didn't want to go to a hospital. This is what, this is all he could kind of get from me. I was like, okay. And he's like, you know, I'm going to call my friend Charlie who like live around the corner. So she came around and he leaves and she's like, so what's going on? I was like, I don't know. I'll just keep bleeding and this is cramped. She's like, I think we really need to go to hospital. So we did. And so even up until that point, there was like nothing in me that thought like, you know, I was in danger. I just thought it was a really, really bad period. So we get seen eventually and then they can't see anything of the scan. And then she's like, I think we need to get this consultant guy in because, you know, we don't know what's going on. 
So this beautiful Nigerian consultant guy comes in and he's just like, my sister, we have to open it straight away. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, what's going on? And he's just like, if you you are pregnant, we think it's dying. So we have to open it right now. Otherwise it's finished. Yeah. And I was like, what? First off, pregnancy. Two, dying. That's all the two words I I could hear. I was suddenly just like stripped clothed rubbed in so then i wake up and the guy that i'm like seeing is like the end of my bed my uh, my late brother james bless him's there crying everyone's crying and i'm like i'm numb because obviously i'm still on anesthetic but i'm still like what the fuck yeah. has just gone down and so it turned out i basically had an eptopic pregnancy which i'd never i'd never first off i don't know anything about eptopic be like pregnant crap because i was on the pill as well no one tells you you can actually get pregnant on the pill so an ectopic pregnancy is when you get pregnant when the baby doesn't reach the uterus is that yeah, it it, it starts stuck in, in the, the fallopian tube yeah start, so basically imagine like the the the, the embryo is meant to basically implant on your on your on your lining but it, yeah. then it gets stuck in your fallopian tube so this this little seed is growing in your fallopian tube so that's why yeah it, maximum six, six weeks i mean otherwise it like the worst case scenario yeah it erupts and then and then it okay. is like game over and so i was at that stage where it we were going into game over which is yeah. why there was a heavy bleeding and cramp and you can actually die and so then i've got the you know the potential father of my child that's standing at the end of my bed obviously james walks out to kind of give us a moment he's like sarah like and i i can't even speak because suddenly it's like i've always wanted to be a mum but mm. i'm now like i was i was a mum but now i'm not a mum um, it was just real, it was just such a head fuck. And yeah. I'm not really with this guy as well. So then we went through this phase where like the next few weeks were really confusing because we're kind of like, uh, we're basically grieving together and it was just got really messy. And then, and then he ended up sort of snogging someone, I know, douchebag. And that mm. kind of just ended that relationship absolutely completely. But I was definitely really, really sad. I mean, call it the pressure. I was, I was really sad. And so... I was definitely not looking for any relationship by the time I met my 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 late husband Tim. Did the ectopic pregnancy have any residual physical effects? Well, the tube had to go. So, you know, like the tube ruptured. So you and lost so a fallopian tube. I lost tube. my left tube. So I was only left with a right tube. So that's the thing. I was suddenly like a a mum, but then suddenly not a mum. And then your chances of getting pregnant again are halved because you know, you just got the right, you got the one tube. Yeah. So were you very conscious of that? Was that something that was on your mind, this idea of... Yeah, absolutely. It was like when you decide that you want to get pregnant, Sarah, you know, it's going to be really difficult because you've just got this one tube. Um, And so I definitely, it was just something I sort of parked. I was like, right, I'm parking this. I don't, I can't even think about this. Not looking for a relationship. And then one night we decided to have a house party and then I met I met my, my late husband, Tim. Tell me about Tim. What was he like that night you met him? So, yeah, so I was, we'd, I'd actually had lunch with, with some really good girlfriends in Hampstead. And the idea was we'd go back to Camden and go out um, to Marathon Bar. That's that, that literally was the plan. I and remember then, Marathon Bar. Right, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it was basically, was it not basically a kebab shop? Yeah, it's a kebab shop yeah, in the back. With a disco like down the back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember that. Right, it was so cool, just opposite mm. the roundhouse. And so that yeah. was the idea that we'd go back 
I lived with two guys. Um, and so we got back and then the boys were watching rugby. And then our mutual friend, Henry, basically, he was at LSC and he brought some friends over, one of them being Tim. Anyway, Tim was Australian. Um, England, I think England were losing at some point, but I, I, he was giving it a lot of, you know, giving a lot yeah. of mouth. I was giving a lot of mouth back. Um, but I remember at one point, like looking over and... Um, I was like, God, he's got really nice eyes, isn't he? Um, and what I also liked about him was that he was like giving, I love the way he was like, he gave the bounce and I gave it back. Yeah. And then in the end, obviously it was sad, like England lost and everyone like the, the vibe was just not cool. Everyone was just like really sad and like, sod this, let's have a party. Yeah. Um, and so, and so we ended up doing that original plan. Let's go to Marathon Bar. So we did. And it was on the way to Marathon Bar, I started to get to really know this guy. It was, turned out we had loads in common. He was at LSC doing international development. I'd finished at SOAS doing development. And so suddenly it went from like, oh, this cocky guy is actually really nice. And he's got really nice eyes. And then yeah. at some point in the evening, we ended up snogging our first snog on the dance lot in Marathon Bar. I love it. The romance. <laughs> the romance as well. So I say to Zizi, like, when did you first kiss, mum? I was like, yeah, back of a kebab shop. <laughs> yeah. And so, and then that was that. And so basically we were inseparable. We were inseparable for like the next few weeks. And then he got offered a job to work with the UN um, six weeks into our relationship. And then he asked me, do you want to come with? And I was like, yeah, because I was, you know, I was at the stage where it's like, I'm really, I've always wanted to live abroad doing the work that I was doing, mm. like international development. And then I finally found this guy that wants to do the same. So I was thinking, yeah, why not? Friends and family were like, mm, Sarah, because A, I just come out of a relationship and B, they were like, you've right. literally just known this guy for six weeks. But Annie, you know when it feels right? Yeah. I was like, why not? And then you know what? If it doesn't work, I can always just come back. Right. So off we went. So Tim went first just to set us all up. And then I followed. So I arrived 2009. And how did it feel when you kind of landed to see Tim and you were like, this is my new life? Oh, my God. Like, Well, uh, first off, uh, there was this massive cyclone. So there was huge flooding going on. So when I landed. So this was is like, in Fiji. Yeah. It was like cyclone season and this massive cyclone was basically tearing itself through. So it was basically... It was pandemonium. Um, there'd been like Tim had basically had to kind of like wade through flood water in this minivan to kind of get to the yeah, it was crazy. And I'd basically landed with my Ugg boots. Okay, it was really cold leaving Hoover. That's why I like that's why <laughs> yeah. I'm wearing my Ugg boots. And then I backpack. And then Tim's just there and he's like, he called me Missy, um, Missy G. Yeah. He's like, Missy, yeah, like um this I was like, what is this? And then he basically booked us to go onto this little island. There's like, you know, first romantic, but it was just mad. We got on like the last ferry out as well. And like the waves are doing this, left, God. right, center. Yeah. It was just nuts. Anyway, we survived. We had like, you know, two bottles of Moet and like, you know, a pack of six. <laughs> so it was, it was like, it was quite an adventurous start, obviously, manic. But once all that kind of calmed down, it was great. We had this beautiful apartment overlooking like the mountains. Um, I got a job quite quickly um, working for a HIV AIDS NGO, uh, which yeah. I loved. I did like lots of HIV AIDS work in Uganda at one point. So it just all started fitted. And Annie, we were like in this situation where we were like this young couple who barely knew each other, but we were meeting other young people who were all like-minded, um, living in Fiji. And life was, life was amazing. 
And how was your relationship with him then? So, you know, you'd had the six weeks of very intense first love, but yeah. now you're living together. Now you know, you're, you're going together, through that yeah. phase where you see the little things. You see how he brushes his teeth in the morning. You see, <laughs> you know, you see if he's messy or not. All the things, the kind of the magic wears off initially. Or did it? Well, no, I don't think it did, to be fair. I feel like because we were literally living, living the dream, I'd say, like we were yeah. living in paradise. Like it was... There was so much adrenaline. You know, every day was like an adventure. I feel like we were just apparently on holiday for that first for that first year or so. And like what did you learn about him in that time? Like in that year, what were the things that you loved about him more, I suppose? I loved that he he was really good at surprising me. So I think like maybe oh yeah, when we first got back to our home after being away on the island. He basically did this treasure hunt. So he basically made up this treasure hunt. He'd folded up pieces of paper. Um, and then these pieces of paper like led to the bedroom. And, the end of the, at, at, and at the end, there was this beautiful like present. What was it? I think it was like a bracelet or something. Wow. Um, and so I was like, wow, this guy's got moves. He's really amazing at like surprises. And I love surprises. I think mm. also like, going back, like my first night at Marathon Bar, quite drunk, I remember saying to him, whatever you do, just be kind, like, don't hurt me. Mm. And I basically just just shared everything that had happened. And he was like, whoa, A, like, well, this is quite heavy. But also he was very aware of, I've got to be quite delicate with this woman. Right. Who I've fallen in love with. But Tim was like, he was just such an amazing bringer of people. Like, he was really good at basically bringing people together. So we were having dinner parties weekly would have these interesting people who'd basically lived around the world. And so they were sharing their stories and he was really ambitious as well. Like he sort of landed in the UN and wanted to do so much work and just make so much change already. He just knew so much. I would say hand on heart, like possibly the most intelligent guy I've ever met. Yeah. And he was just always up for an adventure. Like I, I love having someone who's just a doer. Like you could say like, Oh, it'd be really great if like one day we go to Peru. The next day he'd be like, yeah. da, 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 start sending you links. And you're like, what? Yeah, like, let's make it happen. Like, you know, he was right. a life doer. He was yeah. a doer. And I love having a doer. And then like, I remember the proposal. It was like, we'd, you know, we'd be talking about getting married at some point. Um, and he was in the shower. I think I was, I was on, the, I was on a laptop doing something. And then he was like talking, goes, oh, so, you know, Missy, I was thinking, you know, really good way to get everyone here. Like, why don't we just get married? That'd be a really good way to get everyone here to feed you, do you know think? <laughs> and so he comes out the shower and he's got the towel around his waist and he's like, popped his head around. He's like, what do you think? I was like, is that a proposal? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, it was not how I sort of thought yeah. proposal goes. <laughs> I was thinking like, you know, like a ring. Rose like maybe, petals, yeah. maybe the beach at sunset. Right? I was like, we are living in Fiji, but no, yeah. I get a real sort of like, what do you reckon? Yeah. Um, but then we did. We, 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 we planned this wedding. We did it ourselves. We decided to get married in this beautiful little church. Um, so we're, I'm going to describe where we we're living. We lived in this beautiful little kind of community with kind of like old school Fijian families and then sort of well-to-do sort of expats um mm. you know everyone knew everyone and there's this beautiful little church called St Luke's and we just I'd always sort of walk past it in my head I'm like it'd be great to get married there um and that's where we decided to do and so we invited like 100 friends and family um and we sort of built it as like a two-week extravaganza so we asked the Fiji police band so they wear two hats. So, yep, they're police by day, but they also do like, um, they're a band. So there's like guys on drums, <laughs> guys on trumpets. It's so cool. And they could do like any song you'd want. So 
Tim and I's idea is that after the photos are taken, we'd basically surprise our guests. And so the Fiji police band like meet us and all our guests are like losing their mind, Danny. They're like, oh my God, what is this? Day after that, we all decamped to an island. We all sort of like went to an island for like a whole week. My God, that's the best wedding ever. Wow. (laughs) And how long were you with Tim when you got married? Um, We'd been together for like two years. Nice. And were you able to fly your family out? Did your yeah. mum come out? And, so mum yeah. came out. Um, my brother, James, came out. He gave me away. Dad couldn't come. Oh, but what dad right. did do was like, he typed out a speech that my brother like read out at the wedding, which was, yeah, okay. it was really good moves. It was really touching. Like he wanted to be there, but obviously couldn't. Yeah. Um, and my sister, my nephew. Yeah. So we, and Tim's family and like friends as far fetched from Ethiopia, Norway. It was, wow. yeah, it was great. People still talk about it being like the best holiday trip of I a bet. lifetime. Yeah, yeah, we had the traditional Fijian choir singing. Yeah, it was emotional. And I got, by the time I got to the altar, Tim was like wailing. And I was like, come Aww. on, put yourself together. And I was like really hard. I was like, put yourself together, come on. But he was, yeah, it was really emotional. It was beautiful. Then you had a son. We did. We had Isaiah James Kaima Martin on the 30th of May, 2013. Zizzy, okay. Zizzy was breech. So, and I tried everything. I tried everything to sort of turn him around. It was like you hang upside down and you're burning herbs on your foot, all sorts of stuff. Wasn't happening. So in the end, you had to have C-section. The Fijians are all, they're known for their their singing. They're very spiritual, Mm. religious and singing. And so what happened was I was just lying there and they basically prayed over me, prayed and it was just, they started singing beautifully. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God, that must have been such a, a spiritual experience. It was amazing. It was like literally like goosebumps, like spiritually. You're just... I just felt really safe and I felt I felt Zizi ready to come out basically even before they pulled him out like you you are in this amazing sort of atmosphere where you're like wow life is about to be born and also just a miracle he came safely because remember I didn't think that I would be able well, to yes. get pregnant so we were yeah. both like a tender hooks the whole time like is this all going to work out it was just pure bliss Annie it was absolutely stunning yeah. and so then yeah we nestled into being new parents as you did I mean you know the whole we were just in love Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on Us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of forty-five dollars equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active mint customers by 531-24. Get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. So 2017 is the year that you cite as the adult changes kicking in and it feels like the different types of changes that we can experience this change that we lean into and that we enact and this change that happens to us and this is a very much change that 
happened to you, like in terms of Tim, but also everything that came before. I I guess that's a bit of both. You you kind of chose it, you leaned in and you you were quite resilient in that. Tell us about the IVFs. Yeah, so two years after conceiving Zizi, we decided to go, uh, we wanted another child. Again, second time around, wanted to have a baby, bam. You know, that's what happens, hot tubs and gin and tonics. Yeah. I went for a scan and they couldn't actually see anything on the screen. And I was like, huh? But I've, I was like, but I'm totally pregnant. I've done all these pregnancy tests. They were like, well, come back, come back in a week. You know, sometimes this happens. And so that's what I did. We went back in a week and they were like, wow, um, there's twins. <laughs> and we were like, what? So oh my God. we were pregnant with twins. I remember like Tim's face literally went gray. He was like, oh my God. Cause he was just like, you know, he was like, he was a mathematician, right? So he's like the cost, like prams, all of this. He was just like, right. this is gonna absolutely like, this is not what I signed up for. I was like, well, you know. <laughs> and then went back for like the 12 week scan and um, one of the twins basically, the, the sack had, had gone. Um, right. And then went back a week later and then that was it. No, no more twins. And so that was really, So this really was 12 sad. weeks in. 12, 12 weeks, weeks in. Which is, which is a significant time to get psychologically invested oh, in absolutely. what's happening. I'd already yeah. had like, I, I, I saw like prams. I saw how we're going to fly internationally. I just saw us as a big right. unit family. Like as women do, like I've got names. Is it going to be boy, 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 girl? Like it was all mapped out in my head. And to suddenly have that all taken from you is yeah. was really really hard um and i definitely look back and I, I i for sure i fell into depression after that right. i was determined to get i was like i want baby and tim's like let's just take our time with this i was like i really want to i really want to do this so we started trying and i was i was getting pregnant but i was having early miscarriages and then i went to go and get a, have a checkup and they were like well it turns out basically you've got um, scarring on your uterus, which basically is this condition called Asherman syndrome. Um, and just to cut long story short, um, the only way then that you can basically get pregnant after they've removed the scarring is to have IVF. And so I basically went through all these operations, hysterectomies, all sorts, um, for them to kind of remove the scarring. But even then, the remaining right tube, because I remember my left tube was gone. Yeah, it was gone. It was just yeah. damaged. It's like... I can't believe this. I can't believe we're kind of here. So, so hang on. You find out you have this Asherman syndrome, which yeah. is basically scarring on the uterus. Yeah. Part of it is from the... The DNC. DNC that yeah. you had to have yeah. after your first... The twins. After the twins. And no, and no one tells you about this, Annie. That's the thing. Like, so the DNC is when they have to remove the fetus from you. Yeah. And it's quite a horrible procedure, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a yucky thing. It yeah. is really. It's just basically scraping the baby yeah. away um, and, and they it, scar you it can scar you and they no one tells you about that they like no one tells you about this and you know i've since obviously read up on it and talked to quite a few sort of physicians and like well yeah that actually can happen i mean it's like 0.00 percent you know percentage which i clearly fall into same with like right. the, you know the ectopic there's a not 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 point so i'm always in this like not not point percent it's like god it's gonna be me and it was sadly me um and so we we went through all that and then the only option then was to go through IVF. Um, Tim wasn't keen. He was like, you know what? Because I'd been through all of this. and That's a lot of stuff. It's just too yeah. much, you know, emotionally, physically. And remember, I'm having to fly from Fuji to like Australia for all of this because we can't have that happening. And so it's a lot. Yeah. And Tim was just like, babe, like Missy, let's just be happy with Zizzy. But 
you know, us women, like once we were on that track of like, I want a baby, like there's just literally no stopping us. And I was like, you know, mm. I want to, I want to, I want to keep going with it. And so I started IVF. And had you processed the twins, do you think? No, looking I hadn't. Back? Not really. Right. I was like, just really sad. And I just, yeah. I felt like I was just dead set that having a baby would basically make me feel better. That is what's going to make me feel yes. better. And I don't yeah. know, I don't care how that baby, how I make that baby. I just, I want that baby. That was pretty much yeah. what my headspace was. So that's what we did. We started IVF beginning of 2017. Um, I'd fly over. The first two cycles failed. Then I came back home. It was like Easter time. And then I got a call from mum and, you know, because of the time difference, it's basically 3 a.m. in Fiji and it's daytime for, for London. And I got a call to say that my um my brother had passed away, James. How? He'd basically gone to sleep and didn't wake up. Yeah. Oh, my God, Sarah. Yeah. So that I'm was... I'm so sorry. And he was your older brother? He was a younger brother. So he younger was 28 brother. at the time. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. So that was a real shocker. And I'll just never forget that, that flight, Annie. It was like, uh, it was just basic. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a 24 plus hour journey. And I remember just saying to the air hostesses, just don't come near me, basically. Like, just do not disturb. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just w- looked out of this window with clouds, clouds, and just wrote the eulogy and just was like, wow, James, you know, like the, I was trying to recall the last time I'd been in touch with him. Like we were really close. He really looked up to me. He he was he was wanting to study international development because of me, um, right. and yeah, it was just it was yeah. I mean, I still, I still, I feel like I'm only starting to deal with his loss now that I'm back in England. I feel like because of all the loss right. I've had, I was just had to park him dying until I got back home. And I feel like now that I am back, I feel like this is now I'm sort of having to process all of that now. Sure, and not yeah. then. Um, yeah. And so I got back and yeah, I was, I was home for a month. It was funeral, just right. doing all that stuff. It was nuts. It was really, really nuts. Yeah. And then got back to Fiji and then I, <laughs> I think I was just, I was just on this road of like, I want to feel better. The only thing that's going to make me feel better is, is having a baby. Right. So, and how was Tim about that? Was he okay? Or I think he just kind of left me alone. I think he was just yeah. like, she he knew you you needed to do it yeah he's like she's on this journey but he was like he was made it very clear like missy i'm happy for you to just do what you need to do but please can we discuss like if if none of these work this is it like we i i'm not i'm not yeah. prepared to do anymore yeah. and i was like absolutely and i just then had it in my head i was like well let's just go for it let's just do all of we'll just do all around this year so did two more cycles they didn't work christmas was coming up and we were very much aware that mum, we didn't want mum to be alone for her first Christmas without James. Yeah. So we're yeah. like, mum, why don't you come over to Fiji? Come with us for Christmas. We're going to fly Tim's family over as well. And I was like, well, Tim, what about I just fly over, do the last one. And so we sort of timed it, like do it two weeks before. And then, you know, we get the results like Christmas Eve. Like he's like, oh, okay, Sarah. But like, if it's not what you wanted, I was it like, it's okay. It might ruin your Christmas. Yeah. yeah. I was like, but you know what? If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We've made this pact. He's like, okay. So mum flies in, I flew out. So I leave mum with the boys. I'd been texting Tim. We're figuring out what wine to bring back to Fiji yeah. from Australia for Christmas. I went to this pre-pregnancy yoga class, came out oh, wow. sunny on my way to, to the car. And then I, I turned on my phone because obviously I'd switched off for the class 
And there was all these missed calls and messages like call home, call home, call home from like friends. So then I did. And then I, I got on to my first friend and she's like, Sarah, where are you? And I was like, oh, I've just come out of yoga class. I'm just on my way to Tim's parents' home. Are you, are you able somewhere where you could just park? I was like, oh, is, there any, is everything okay? They're like, I was like, and then I suddenly was like, where's Zizzy? Is, is Zizzy okay? They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's just Tim. And I was like, oh, okay. But then my battery was running low. So I was like, well, let me, let me just go home and just charge the battery. So that's what I did. I drove home, charged, put the phone into charger. And then I was like, so what's going on? Where's Tim? They're like, oh, you know, he was at football and then he, he collapsed. And I was like, oh, okay, well, is he all right? Like, do you want to put him on the phone? And then suddenly like the phone switches to someone. And I was like, what's going on? Where are you guys? And it turns out my friend's in, in a hospital with Tim. And I was like, okay, well just put him on the phone. They're like, oh, Sarah, we can't. I was like, well, why not? And they were like, oh, cause he didn't make it. And I was like, what did you say? What did you say? What did you say? They're like, oh, he didn't make it. And then I was like, shut the fuck up. So then I, I, then I hung up and then I went to go and phone his phone. Cause I just didn't really believe it. I was like, there's no way he could be, what did not mean he didn't make it? Then his phone's ringing out. So then I ring my friends again. I was like, just put him on the phone. Like, it's just not funny. And they're like, Sarah, I'm so sorry. He didn't make it. It's Tim's dead. I just remember the room just spinning, like really spinning. And then I just collapsed and just started screaming. What did I do? I started WhatsApping people, Tim is dead, but I still didn't believe it, but I'm just messaging Tim is dead because apparently Tim is dead. Then I call my mom and she's not, she can't even speak. She's just like, I'm so sorry, my daughter. But I'm I'm not believing any of this, Annie. At this point, I'm still right. not believing it. But then mm. I'm just calling people. I'm calling his siblings. I'm meant to be going to see his siblings for like dinner. I'm calling his mum. She's on the way to like book club with her friends. She's driving, I'm on loudspeaker. It's just pandemonium. And all I could think of is like, I need to get home to Zizzy, like now. Yeah. Like yeah. now. Yeah. I, I'm suddenly on the flight back. But the whole time I'm thinking, there is no way Tim is dead. There's like, of course. we've had yeah. all this shit happen. How can this be happening? No, this is just a bad mm. dream. So then we land into Nasori Airport, which is the nearest airport to where we lived. Um, and then I walk out, Annie, and then it was basically like, that's when I knew Tim had died. There was like police motorcade, blacked out official UN cars, because Tim worked for the UN. And I was like, oh fuck. And they're that's there to pick you up. Yeah, that's when I knew, okay, yeah, he is, he's actually dead. Oh my God. Basically Tim had had a heart attack, a sudden heart attack at home. Um, and mum found him of, of all people. Mama Flavs, yeah. I was just like, where's Sissy? I got to the home and like our friends are there and everyone's just inconsolable, not really knowing what to say. And I was like, wow, well, I need Zizzy here now. And mum was like, so I think you need a night to yourself. Like he's fine. He's with best friends. Yeah. He's with his nanny. I think you need a night to yourself to basically start to process. Yeah. And then we're going to bring him in tomorrow. And then you, you need to tell him because he doesn't know. And so I was like, he doesn't oh, know. God. And Zizi was what, three? Three and a half, yeah. Three and a half, right. It's really weird. When James passed, I'd read Julia Samuel's book, Grief Works, and I'd read a book by Brendan Cox, the Labour MP. And in one of the chapters, Brendan Cox talks about how he'd told the children, the two children, 
boy and a girl have you know how the mama died but he used to talks about the language that he used like not like oh your mum's turned into a star or a moon like your mum's dead right um yeah, and yeah. how he takes so very frank very honest really yeah. honest there's just no yeah. beating around the bush and then how he had taken the children to see joe cox's body right and so that's pretty much what i did jay uh right. dizzy returned the next day Ah, oh, it still gives me chills just because he sort of bounces out of the car. Um, my friends, Lara's dropping him off with my nanny and they're like trying really hard not to cry. And he just bounces out of the car and he's like, mommy, mommy, mommy. All he knew was that dad had gone to hospital and that's all he knew. Yeah. So he just said, mama, dad has gone to hospital. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. And I'd sort of like laid out a map with a picture of us as a family and teddy bears. And I was like, you know, Zizi, come sit on the lap. And then I just said, yeah, Zizi, you know, like about Dada, you know, and I basically started sort of explaining it about his heart, like how we need our heart to pump blood around our body. And if the heart stops, then it means yeah. we're dead. Mm. And that's pretty much what I said to him. And he sort of like, remember him, like looked up at me, sort of like, so Dada's not coming back. And I was like, Dada's not coming back, baby. He's, he's dead. And then he just had a moment and then he basically bounced out of my lap and just, went to his we just followed him he went to his playroom and started basically trying to like climb and he was just basically yeah he was just reeling out of control and just really just not yeah there and that was his way of processing and then he's like i want to go and see dada i was like okay so we organized for for that to happen and i hadn't seen a dead body up until that point annie so i went in first and yeah it was it was really surreal i took music into play to him but i'd because they did a really bad job of of you know sort of making him look good um it was like i'm not playing music to that i just want to be in and out of this room right. it didn't feel like him no it didn't feel like him it didn't it didn't look like him it just wasn't right Got you. but i went to go and get sizzy and i was like okay and i explained to him i sort of explained this dada and his forever bed mm-hmm. and um and this is what you're going to see and so it just basically just literally did a quick lap and that yeah. was it. And till this day, I'm, I, I have no regrets in doing it the way I did. That year of changes is so, so huge and life defining and life rupturing. So there would have been immediate changes after that. Your parental role, you're now a single mom. How was that kind of in the aftermath of Tim's passing? It was really hard. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't. So Fijian culture, uh, they embrace death like a lot better than we do in the West. I basically had... What a blessing that that it happened there. We, I had people living with, we had a big house. We, I had people living with us for six months after Tim died. Um, and wow. as much as I basically had a few, like, I mean, I come down to the fridge and it's like, there's not food that I want to eat or I just wanted some space. In hindsight, it was the most, it was the best thing that could possibly happen. Mom ended right. up staying on with us, but I had people surrounded by me and Zizi and so much love for six months for a good half a year after it happened. Amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Absolutely. So, so what prompted you to come back to Hastings then from Fiji? It was a mixture of, I felt like my What's Sarah Rednecks platform was needing to basically get more of a leg up. Like I did as much as I could over in Fiji. Yeah. I, I really missed home so much. Um, you know, it'd been 13 years since I'd been away. I was ready wow. to kind of come back. 
I wanted Zizi to also experience, you know, the UK culture um, and also get to know my family a lot better as well. Um, we'd been basically living on that other side of the world where he had access to Tim's family and I felt like it was time for us to be this side of the world. I'm a Londoner, but I, I really, because I've been sort of living by the ocean, I really felt strongly that I wanted to be yeah. by the ocean living here, which is why we live by the coast where we are. When Tim died, I was fearful about how, you know, people were like, you've got to move back home. But I was like, I can't be ripping Zizi up from his home, having him just lost yeah. his dad. That's just yeah. like double yeah. whammy bad. And you know, Annie, like first day of his school here, um, we're standing in this playground and he's gripping me. And these kids can't start coming up. They're like, oh, they're like hi, Zizi. And a few of them are like, Bula, Zizi, Bula. Bula is how they say hello in Fijian. They're like, Bula. And Zizi looks at me, he's like, Mummy, how do they know Fiji? And I'm like, yeah, I have no idea. Like, what is going on? Anyway, it turns out, check this out. So school, knowing that Zizi, this is Fijian boy coming over to start, they basically spent half a day learning about Fiji and the Fiji language. Stop. Yeah. That is so sweet. Yeah. And so it made him feel more welcome. So welcome. So much welcome. Because Zizi's quite a shy. He's a bit of a shy kid. But, you know, it's a big deal. Like, he had 20 children in his class in the whole year group. Now there's, like you know, a hundred. So it's a big, big, big move. It's a big jump. And it's yeah. only the last few days where he's basically felt brave enough to start playing with the boys and playing football with the boys in the playground. So I can basically drop him off now and it's fine. But it's been a big one. But he he's really settling in. How long have you been there now? So we're coming up to nine months. Since 2017, since that year, yeah. how has your relationship with Zizi changed? Uh, if at all? We are we are bonded really bonded right. I mean we're bonded anyways mother and son but I feel like everything that we've been through specifically Tim has just basically taken our relationship to a whole new level yeah. I sometimes joke that we're like flatmates <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's more friends it's yeah, like yeah, more yeah. friends and like you know I've got I've got his back he's got my back he's very protective over me I'm very protective over him um we do daily check-ins when it comes to emotions like I don't I've never ever sort of swept anything under the carpet with him and him too. Mm. Um, he's had three big, really huge emotional blowouts about him. First one yeah. was pretty lo not long after Tim died where he just, for a child at that age to be able to process, they just can't. And so of he course. had a real big, and I, it was so huge. You could feel like his heart is just exploding that I had to call a friend over just to help hold me, hold him, because it was just a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was also recently he had one when, it was like just before Christmas where everyone's getting sick and we were both really sick. He went, I don't know, he came to hug me and he's like, mum, your head's so hot. I was like, I know, I'm so, I know, I, I feel really sick. And then he started crying. He's like, mum, I don't want you to die. I was like, sissy, oh, babe, don't worry. Him. So he has yeah. that fear. Of course he has that fear. Because we talk openly about grief and our emotions um, and we, we practice gratitude every day where, you know, if there's anything that's changed me with grief, like I'm a lot, I'm a lot more, I've just so much empathy and so much gratitude for life every day. Like, you know, you wake right. up in the morning, I, I just, I'm just so grateful to be for being here, you know, that just the smallest things. And I'm a real believer in also just trying to kind of keep a positive mindset. It's so easy to kind of fall into sort of negative loop of, you know, oh yeah. shit, why me? Why me again? Oh fuck, you know, why me yeah. again? And yeah. you can kind of go into that cycle, but I feel like it's a slippery soap. Do you know what I mean? You attract what you kind of give out. And so I'm all about as much as possible, trying to stay positive, even when things are like, things do kind of become rough. 
Mm. Can I ask about the the last IVF thing that you got when that you were supposed to get the results of on Christmas Eve? Whatever happened with that? We're keeping that one up in the air for that one. We're still just sort of undecided right. of of what to do, just because it's like when I when Tim initially died, I I was gung ho set on 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 using the embryo. So when you're signing your IVF forms together. There's, there's a part that says, you know, if your partner is to die, give them permission yeah. to use the embryo. And I remember Tim and I sort of sitting there looking at each other like, <laughs> as if, do you know what I mean? Like as if that would ever happen. Mm. And then suddenly I'm in the situation where it's like, crap. Wow. Okay. So, wow. right. I we, we actually are in a situation. So I basically started having therapy. You have to have therapy. And then what happens is they have to assess that you're emotionally, physically, mentally ready and financially ready to basically take on an, a baby if it works on your own as a single parent. And so they, they literally go through all nooks and crannies to assess you. And then you've got to go to, you've got to go um, in front of a panel who then make the final decision. So I, I started that process um, and I'd have therapy every week. I got given an opportunity to go off to a really beautiful island for three months in Fiji to basically work on a health program. And it was there that I basically started, I decided to put things on hold just because I was like, oh, do you know what? Let's just, this is too much. There's this grief cloud that's starting to lift a little bit. And I feel like I'm in a really good mm. place and I don't actually know where I'm going to be in a, in like a few months time. So let's just put things literally on ice and see and see what yeah. happens and that's and that's where we're at still single still loving life i've learned to love myself a lot more you know the whole self-esteem not having a father abandonment issues you know i'm i'm happy with being alone i've not really had that right um and i'm in a really good place like what sarah next is growing there's so much coming my son's happy let's talk about this book then so this is something you say, you're going to the Waterstones, you're yeah. working on this book. What is the book? What is the intention with the book? When will we be able to yeah. read it? So the book is based on my story, on my life. Um, it was going to be memoir, but now we've like decided that it's going to be fiction just because we can play around with the okay. storyline and my life a little bit. It's a lot of it. It's about the grief that happens to the, to the woman after she loses her husband. But I, I hope the reader kind of comes away inspired. You know, I feel like, not a lot of people would have maybe perhaps survived what I've survived. Um, it no. would have been quite easy to basically, there's someone that says, let's go away to like this dark cave mm. and, and just kind of get swallowed up. But it sounds like you're in such a good place in terms of being able to go back and revisit those times and there'll be something hugely constructive, I think, about writing that story down. Like that, yeah. the physical act of getting that story out yeah. And on paper and and also the fic the fictional aspect of being able to change it having agency over it you know yeah no absolutely and you know like I look back Annie at everything that's happened like obviously initially I was really angry with Tim I was really angry with him I was like how can you how can you be dead how can you go yeah, leave yeah. Zizzy leave Nick his best his brother leave me yeah. like after everything that's happened like I remember like Zizzy and I took ourselves to the beach and, you know, there's something like I went, I was, I was, I sort of waded in by knees. This was in a kid's club and I just started screaming like, fuck yeah. you, fuck you, yeah. fuck you. And I turned around and there was this Fijian family just come from church behind me like, oh. <laughs> they were like, whoa, don't go near her. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and I look back at that person then and like the person I am today. And I, I'm so proud of how far I've come. And I'm also... So you should be. Yeah, And I'm absolutely. also really chuffed at like the person I am now today as well. Like how I'm happy. I like this version of me, you know. I like this version of me. I'm so glad. I'm so glad for you. And and I think anyone listening will just be in awe of your courage and your strength. I mean, before 2017, like your whole life, you've showed it. It's been there. It's been inside of you. But what an incredible story. And we are so grateful for you for sharing it with us today as well, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. What a story. Intense love. Immense strength. Going from being such a happy family of three, the struggles with fertility, then having to become a single mother, moving back across the world to start a new life in England. I mean, this woman has really dealt with change, all different facets of it. And I'm in awe of her. And I thank her for sharing her story with us today on Changes and do go and follow her on Instagram. I suppose that's the only the only call to action I have for you today is go check her on Instagram. It's at what Sarah read next. You will find book recommendations, reviews, chats with authors. There's links to her events. There's mailing lists. Um, and we'll put a link to it, of course, on our show notes. It's at what Sarah read next. Uh, and of course, we need to look out and anticipate that book that will be coming out from her as well. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Changes. It means the world. And if you did enjoy this episode, I would be so grateful if you would consider subscribing to the podcast and we will deliver conversations into your inbox every Monday morning. Obviously share this around and we will be back next week with a very different episode. Changes is produced by Louise Mason through DIN Productions. See you later. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.